0: Welcome to Holy Smoke, the spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damian Thompson. Just in case you missed it, here's a real scoop broken on Saturday night by a website calling itself, gloriously, The Conservative Beaver. It was headed Vatican Blackout, and it read, Vatican Italy, Pope Francis, AKA Jorge Mario Bergoglio, was arrested Saturday in connection with an 80-count indictment of charges, including possession of child pornography, human trafficking, incest, possession of drug paraphernalia and felony fraud. Military officers, Italian police and their sex crimes unit went to the Pope's home in the Vatican. They arrested him and several other high-ranking officials. People near the scene have reported hearing gunshots. Pope Francis is currently being held in an unknown prison, being interrogated by federal agents working for the state of Italy and Interpol. In order to make the arrest, police and military agents had to cut off the power in the Vatican, as well as dim the live can. This was noticed by web sleuths, who quickly became suspicious of what was happening in the Vatican. Wow, what a great story, albeit with a few little holes in it. A Rome-based website called The Catholic Traveller immediately pointed out that the video of the blackout was just underexposed. The lights were on if you looked carefully. Film of a motorcade leaving the Vatican after arresting the Pope dates from September, and it's in daylight, unusually for an overnight blackout arrest. The ambulance in St Peter's Square, reportedly seen after the shootout, was actually the street sweeper. And, wrote Catholic Traveller, another video and screenshot was going around showing light out in a Mass taking place in the Vatican. I quote, A keen eye, and by keen I mean someone willing to read the text scrolling on the screen, will see that this isn't the Vatican, it's San Zeno in Tuscany and the Mass is for the opening of the Holy Year of St James, and that starts in the dark with the opening of the Holy Door. Well, for a couple of hours, Catholic Twitter got very excited. But then that's what we've come to expect. Every day there's some sort of conspiracy theory being aired by right-wing Catholics, involving the globalist agenda of the Pope's UN, Chinese, Masonic, Soros Foundation puppet masters. And no surprise, perhaps, given the fervour with which the Pope actually does promote a globalist agenda while his diplomats kowtow to Beijing... But let me add that some left-wing Catholics are also into the conspiracy business. In their imaginations, it's the feisty conservative broadcaster EWTN taking the role of the Soros Foundation. You may be wondering why you didn't read about this high drama in the mainstream media. That's because, we were told, a judge had imposed an EU-wide publication ban. Fortunately, the ban doesn't affect Canada or the US, and the conservative beaver received the exclusive scoop for this story via a confidential Italian contact. Don't you love the thought of somebody witnessing the arrest of the Pope on sex trafficking charges and thinking, hmm, this is one for the conservative beaver. We can only speculate as to the identity of the confidential Italian contact, but the accusation that Francis is an international sex trafficker suggests that this conspiracy theory is a close cousin, or even offspring, of QAnon, an overarching narrative in which all world leaders, except Donald Trump, are involved in drugs and sex trafficking. Trump is gonna vanquish them, though how he'll do it as an ex-president remains to be seen. But the Vatican blackout yarn is also reminiscent of old sedevacantist conspiracy theories, in which Pope Pius XII was locked in a Vatican dungeon, while John XXIII went about promoting the fake Catholicism of Vatican II. Two popes in the Vatican? That couldn't happen, could it? Forgive me if I confuse you for a minute. What about the implausible story of $1.8 billion being secretly transferred from the Vatican to Australia in 47,000 separate transfers? Or the Pope appointing a bishop suspected of embezzling money and abusing seminarians as assessor of the Vatican's internal treasury. Or the Pope's former chief of staff getting embroiled in elaborate money laundering operations and insane property speculation. All those things did happen, and in addition, Francis has credibly been accused of turning a blind eye to the serial sexual predation by one of his chief cardinal fundraisers, the now ex-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Accused, that is, by Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò, former nuncio to the United States. A credible source, but one who describes both Biden and Begoglio, isn't called in Francis these days, as agents of the globalist Masonic Deep State. Viganet was also a signatory to a letter on the subject of the coronavirus pandemic, published in May, which said, quote, that there are powers interested in creating panic among the world's population with the sole aim of permanently imposing unacceptable forms of restriction on freedoms, of controlling people and of tracking their movements. The imposition of these illiberal measures is a disturbing prelude to the realisation of world government beyond all control. Really? Has Archbishop Vigano lost his marbles? But then listen to something else he said recently. We find ourselves faced with an infamous betrayal of the mission of the Church of Christ in China, carried out by her highest leaders. My prayers are with Cardinal Zen, an eminent confessor of the faith, whom Bergoglio recently shamefully refused to receive. Now, that's not nonsense, it's the truth. As, I believe, is Viganò's claim that he told Francis about McCarrick's wicked activities back in 2013, but the Pope rehabilitated the old monster instead. And some of Viganò's anxieties about the globalist jargon spewing out of the Vatican under this pontificate seem justified. He also says he fears for his life, which is over the top, but he's an old man who's been subjected to ferocious coordinated attacks by a Vatican propaganda machine which is, as we speak, busy protecting cardinals who lied about McCarrick and their complicity in illegal financial deals. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. On the other hand, just because they're out to get you doesn't mean we have to listen to endless fantasies about the Freemasons. I'm sorry, but as soon as I hear the word Mason, I switch off. Because if there's one organisation whose membership is plummeting faster than that of the Catholic Church, it's the Grand Lodge. You have to go back 40 years to identify a remotely credible quasi-Masonic conspiracy involving the murder of the banker Roberto Calvi and the P2 Lodge which, by the way, bore about as much resemblance to what British and Americans mean by Freemasonry as Catholicism does to Mormonism. And do we have to listen to Catholics lecturing us about a new world order, in a world in which the most powerful country on earth can't keep order in its own cities, allowing them to be invaded by brain-dead mobs of left and right? But, on the other hand, there is face recognition software that allows the Chinese government – police the syncretic mal-worshipping church it's now sustaining with the assistance of the Pope. So, you see the problem. What should be our attitude to traditional Catholics, confronted by a pontificate whose theological revisionism is baffling, and whose embrace of political leftism is profoundly un-Catholic, who are now taking refuge in conspiracy theories? Can you blame them? Yes, of course you can blame them traditional Catholics are under the same obligation as anyone else to weigh evidence rather than just collecting dubiously sourced material that confirms their prejudices. This isn't to say that weighing evidence is easy or that expert opinion is overwhelmingly right even when there's a consensus, but in essence what distinguishes expertise from unsupported assertions is a methodology that tries to establish whether empirical claims can withstand attempts to disprove them. We accept this without question in everyday life. For example, we prefer to fly in planes that don't have a track record of falling out of the sky. Not that we have a choice – there's no alternative aviation industry run by people who reject the narrow orthodoxies of flight engineers. But medicine is different. We instinctively feel we have a degree of sovereignty over our bodies and for many religious believers, including Catholics, the embodiment of life has an ethical dimension that can't be assessed empirically. Which brings us to the subject of a vaccine for the coronavirus, one of Vegano's hobby horses. It's been a major topic of discussion among Catholics on social media for months, and the most voluble commenters have been opponents of the vaccine. Now, Generally speaking, anti-vaxxers are conspiracy theorists who shamelessly twist the truth. But Catholic opponents of the coronavirus vaccine can't all be dismissed so lightly. It's a fact that several vaccines, including the AstraZeneca Oxford one, use cells derived from an aborted fetus. AstraZeneca used what's known as the HEK293 cell line, which originated from a foetus aborted in the Netherlands in 1973. It's found in a number of vaccines against other conditions. But there are no actual cells from aborted foetuses in these vaccines, and the original abortion wasn't for purposes of vaccine research. So, to cut a long story short, the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has said it's okay with Catholics taking these vaccines and, significantly, this ruling has the backing of some very conservative pro-life theologians. But plenty of conservative Catholics on Twitter and other platforms do object. Their own moral scruples won't allow them to take any vaccine using a cell line derived from a fetus. Fair enough, you might say. But is there more to Catholic opposition to vaccines than an objection to a treatment made possible by an abortion? I asked Holy Smoke's regular contributor Ed Condon, who together with his fellow Doctor of Canon Law J.D. Flynn has just set up The Pillar, an online resource, highly recommended by the way, which specialises in detailed investigations and analysis of the contemporary church. Here's what Ed had to say.
1: I think there is a rising amount of online skepticism regarding coronavirus vaccines as they're being rolled out. You can broadly differentiate between people who are making legitimate questions of conscience regarding the development of vaccines, particularly in relation to the use of cell lines that are derived from abortions, and those who have a a, a somewhat more out there set of concerns. Now, Surely there are reasonable questions to be asked about how we develop vaccines and medicine in general and the reliance of medical science at times and in places and in ways on the material derived from abortion. And that is a serious concern for people. And I, I think there's nothing particularly outlandish or conspiratorial to say that we don't want our medical science to be predicated on the taking of innocent human life. But at the same time, there is a difference between, for example, taking cell lines from children that are aborted in almost real time to fuel medical research and the use of cell lines that have been derived over 50 years from an original instance of abortion which is certainly the case with a number of these vaccines and there have been a lot of questions about this and you know is this in some way a material cooperation in the evil of abortion and the vaticans come out with with its own guidance saying the cooperation here is very remote and by no means active And that if you are, for example, a Catholic or indeed anyone of good conscience, and you're worried about moral participation in the evil of abortion through taking a coronavirus vaccine that was, for example, tested in its development on these cell lines, that you're not participating in the evil of abortion, that this isn't something that reflects on you. At the same time, the CDF was very clear in saying, well, hang on, this isn't to say, on the other hand, that everyone has to go out and get a vaccination if they've got qualms of conscience. There is something to be said in praise of taking an absolutist line against abortion and and all its fruits, if you can. That comes with its own set of attendant moral obligations, that you have to take every possible prudential step to halt the spread of the virus. You'd expect to see with these people is you'd expect to see them being the most vocal in favor of, for example, wearing masks in a public place or maintaining social distancing or, you know, ensuring not to gather in large groups indoors. But at least I've noticed people who are making a very strident moral case against the use of these coronavirus vaccines are also at the same time tend to take a very active political stance against any kind of measures to halt the spread of the virus whatsoever. I find it somewhat curious because you see, on the one hand, claims being made about the morality of a coronavirus vaccine that relates very much to sort of how it was developed and affects a sort of high tone of moral philosophy or theology or medical ethics. But then you see people who perhaps a few months previously or even at the same time are mounting the argument that, well, actually, this, this isn't really a vaccine. It's going to mutate your own DNA. And I saw some thread on Twitter that was getting a lot of play. And in fact, I was asked about it a couple of occasions by people, unfortunately, not jokingly, in fact, seriously. Is this a real possibility that somehow receiving a vaccine and developing immunity to the coronavirus would change your DNA and therefore make you not human and invalidate your baptism? I mean, this is the level of sort of pseudoscience and fringe theorizing, which is gaining currency across, you know, not not just Twitter. It's, you know, you can find this sort of thing on YouTube and stuff. And I think it points to a wider problem we're having in all kinds of media, which has been accelerated to a great extent by the pandemic and the fact of lockdowns, which is people who didn't used to spend a lot of time online. Are now doing so. They've been, you know, effectively forced into doing so by spending months and months in effective lockdown, um, unable to socialize in the normal way. And so when you can't socialize in the pub, socialize online. And you know, ideas that you might float in the pub and say, Oh, well, I heard the coronavirus vaccines actually can implant a secret tracking chip in everyone from Bill Gates, that might get you laughed at if you're down the coach and horses. But if you're in an internet chat room, you might find that, you know, you can find two or three hundred people fairly quickly who will say that sounds very plausible to me or I heard the same thing.
0: So, in other words, people who find themselves taking a controversial religious position and opposition to the vaccine is very much a minority position, even in the Catholic Church, turn out to be well disposed to other opinions even more stigmatized by society. That's actually what we should expect. I use the word counterknowledge to describe alternative theories about medicine, international politics, history, finance, genetics, you name it, nearly all of which imply, if they don't openly endorse, a conspiracy theory. And what's intriguing is the exchange of stigmatised ideas between people and groups that don't, on the surface, have anything in common with each other except that they're outsiders, which is actually a very significant thing to have in common. So, to give you an example, I wasn't surprised to hear an extreme climate change sceptic reveal that he's also into homeopathy, nor was I surprised to hear a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn endorse the pro-Trump QAnon conspiracy theory. Ultra-traditionalist Catholics, and I emphasise ultra-traditionalist especially those outside the official body of the church have a long history of embracing conspiracy theories often with an anti-semitic flavor in the united states there's also been an unexpectedly thin membrane separating certain breakaway catholic groups and heavily armed survivalists whom you might expect to be fundamentalist protestants but that's one of the paradoxes of religious counter-knowledge It's well known that in the past 30 years or so, some evangelical leaders have become Catholics to the great benefit of the Church. What's less often observed is the appearance on the Catholic fringe of conspiracy theories rooted in Protestant fundamentalist Bible prophecy, talk of a new world order, for example, and the coming Antichrist, though identifying the latter admittedly was an obsession of many medieval Catholics. It's worth noting, by the way, that American Bible prophecy was never really under the control of the fundamentalist denominations that arose in the second half of the 19th century. It was chiefly the sport of freelancers who often emerged out of nowhere and disappeared just as quickly. Here's Ed
1: Condon again. It's interesting that you bring up the evangelical Christian community, because I, I think you're seeing more and more of the kind of authority figures that people are gravitating towards who are making these more fringe ideas more mainstream. Is They sort of wear the T-shirt that says, I'm a Catholic. But really, they have a lot more in common with pop-up evangelical Protestantism. You know, you're not dealing with people who ha- who are moral theologians or medical ethicists or doctors or priests or bishops. They're people with their own personal narrative and their own personal media brand, and they're really trading off of that and setting themselves up as an alternative authority figure while at the same time saying, I'm a Catholic, and the Catholic Church is wrong in its moral teaching about whether or not you can receive one of these vaccines. And, you know, I think it poses a very interesting problem for the church, or at least a very interesting challenge to the church's authority, which is how do you deal with people who have an increasingly wide listenership, who actually accuse the church of teaching error? How do you deal with people like that? And I think the real temptation is for bishops and others in authority and true experts to sort of ignore it and hope the problem will go away. To just say this is a few fringe voices on the internet when in fact a few fringe voices on the internet can be someone with a YouTube channel with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. If you could go back in time and think about it in context, you know, at one point Martin Luther was just a crank with a notice board in the mind of the hierarchy and... All of a sudden, the means of distributing ideas changed. We had a printing press and suddenly we had the Protestant Reformation. And I wonder if we aren't beginning to see, and this is something that I would say goes beyond the Catholic Church and certainly plays into the sort of extreme fringe political narrative, which has become very common in the United States now, something of the same thing, which is we're seeing really the social media becoming a new printing press where there's no interest in or mechanism for actual fact-checking. You know, Twitter can put all the stamps at once on people's tweets, but Twitter is no more an arbiter of fact than the people making these posts.
0: Now, I agree with everything Ed Condon says, but at the same time, let's keep in mind what conservative Catholic conspiracy theorists are reacting against, and that's the strange confusion about the teaching authority of the Church, that's arisen under this pontificate. It's not clear to what extent this Pope feels bound by the magisterium, the teaching of the Church, and therefore to what extent it is authoritative. There's a sense of a doctrinal free-for-all that has opened up new possibilities for those lay pontificators who are already hugely empowered by digital technology that some of them should use this power to spread apocalyptic conspiracy theories is predictable. It happened in the 16th century too, and also frustrating. Years ago, I spent a long time doing academic research into apocalyptic belief, and I ended up concluding that by the end of the 20th century, the scare stories which once genuinely frightened people had become a source of entertainment and conspiracy theorists are the entertainers. It's show business for paranoid people, basically, though I suspect that often the paranoia is applied along with the make-up just before they go on air. Anyway, as I say, it's frustrating, and for this reason. Some of the new Catholic broadcasters are very bright, very committed to their faith, and naturally charismatic. If only they could wean themselves off the conspiracy clickbait, they could help break the stories that are being ignored or even suppressed by a left-leaning Vatican press corps which is enchanted by the progressive noises coming from Rome. That's reassuring for those senior churchmen who, together with their employees, have created a culture of technicolour corruption. That's the phrase used by Cardinal George Pell who, just as he was uncovering their activities as head of the Secretariat for the Economy, was dragged back to Australia to face trumped-up charges of sex abuse. He's been rightly acquitted by the country's High Court. Before that, however, he was convicted on the basis of unreliable evidence, a surprising development that tempts me to slip into conspiracy mode because it coincided with that inexplicable smuggling of money from the Vatican and its associates to Australia. But cultivating the Vatican press corps will only get you so far. Practitioners of technicolour corruption can't control what's revealed online. They live in daily fear of their activities being exposed, and so much has yet to come to light. Imagine their relief, therefore, when they check the websites that might bring them down and read about the New World Order.